Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. You know, we are continuing with this 10 words idea, 10 words that will change everything you know about God. Now, you know, I, I know sometimes when you hear a title like that, you just think, oh yeah, man, this is just going to be another gimmick. No, I'm telling you what, words are everything. You know, one of the, one of the commandments that the Bible gives uh, is that everyone should be able to read. Now, that's one of those implied commandments. In other words, it's not like, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt read. But, but the Bible tells people to read God's Word. So that, that means the implied commandment in it is that you should know how to read. Well, I find it very interesting that the more liberal educators take over the educational system, uh, that reading uh, the uh, skills drop farther and farther and farther down, down the charts. And you know they're 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 doing with uh, reading what they've done with math. They're they're really making it where it almost makes no sense. <clears throat> but I'm telling you, if you cannot read well, then you cannot uh, really. Honest truth is, then you really can't have much freedom in your life. You know, one of the things that kept people uh, in darkness in the dark ages was that only the elite could read. And I'm telling you, I hate to say it, I'm not trying to make this a political broadcast, but that's where the elite in our country are trying to take us. They're trying to dummy down the masses so that in all honesty, it's only the elite, the wealthy who have good educations. Well, words mean something. And you know, the Bible as it is, particularly if you're reading the King James Version of the Bible or even many of the other versions of the Bible, uh, very few people can actually read the Bible and understand it, at least in, in this generation. Many of you know that I'm a, I'm a musician and I'm a songwriter. And, uh, you know, one of the things that astounded me was that uh, songs, most pop songs have to be, or, or let me put it this way, most successful pop songs have to be written uh, so that they can under, be understood by a third grader. Now, you, you know, people would immediately say, well, third graders aren't out buying records. No, but the teenagers that buy records uh, can't really, on a massive uh, scale, understand anything that's much over a third to a fifth grade uh, uh, reading level or comprehension level. You know, there's actually a, com a computer software for writing books and one of the things that you have to do now is you, you cannot write books using uh, a serious uh, a language, if you know what I'm saying, uh, a precise language. Because if, it's, if a book is much over a fifth grade reading 
uh, level. Most people can't comprehend it and they can't, they, they, they won't read it, they won't stick with it to see what it means. Well, just imagine what that means to trying to read and understand the Bible because it is written in an archaic version of English that was, you know, that's, that's hundreds of years old. And, uh, and so people just try to read it, put it down. They say they can't read it. But what's even worse than that is that for probably close to 17, 1800 years, one of the things, when, when, when Christianity stopped being uh, a, a relation-based uh, lifestyle and became a politically motivated power broker uh, uh, environment, then uh, uh, one of the things that was essential was that everything that, that could be done would take power away from the common man and give power to the political and the religious leaders. And so, uh, you know, for centuries, uh, the Bible was read in Latin and, uh, and most of the people didn't understand Latin. They couldn't even read English. Most of the English-speaking people or German-speaking people or whatever language, you know, they were struggling with their own languages, much less uh, Latin. Can you imagine? I mean, a, a church can be born enough as this. Can you imagine going to church and sitting through church in a language that you don't understand, but you feel obligated to be there? I mean, you're talking about no wonder uh, uh, people got so alienated from God and religion was able to take over. But one of the things that you even find in the Bible is you find deliberate mistranslations of words. Now, there's not enough deliberate mistranslations. There's not enough error there to send somebody to hell. And, you know, there are people that just go crazy over some of these, over some of these issues. And, you know, what's funny is these people that, are, that believe that the King James version of the Bible is the holy anointed version of the Bible. Uh, well, well, it's not. You know, the, the, uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was probably originally mostly written in Aramaic and translated into Greek. And so, you know, I always tell people, matter of fact, I, when I used to do jail ministry, there was, a, there was a group that would come in that was King James only. And I'm telling you, you could be on your knees trying to lead somebody to Jesus, and they would run up and interrupt it and, and demand to see what version of the Bible you were reading and quoting from. And they would tell those people, don't pray with them. You'll go to hell if they're not using the King James version of the Bible. Well, what I always did in those situations, I always took my Greek New Testament and just stuck it in my back pocket. And when those morons would come in there screaming and hollering and starting arguments, I would I just flip out my Greek New Testament and hand it to them. I say, here's what I read. Uh, here, read me a few lines out of this. And... Uh, and, you know, that was, only, that was the only way I could get them to shut up and leave because they had no, they had no answer for that. But imagine this. Some of the most crucial words that affect how we see God more than anything else were deliberately mistranslated. You know, I hate to say this. and This just sounds so critical because I love the Word of God. I'm telling you. But... but I, I realized that, you know, I'm fortunate, I, you know, I knew God was a good God. So anytime I came up with things that, that uh, were bad translations, I would just read it. And I would just say, you know, I know this is in here, but there's got to be something I don't understand because I know God's good. And I know that I can't view God the way uh, this is saying to view God. 
But, but just stop and think, you know, in, in, in my book, 10 Words That Change Everything You Know About God, you know, we talk about words like the curse, the wrath of God, uh, chastisement, uh, taking my yoke upon, you, you know, some of these things that have been made to seem so negative and so legalistic. And I'm going to tell you something, when you find out more of what they really do say, you're, you're talking about relief coming to you. And then I took some of the positive words about the love of God, you know, and having a connection with God and, and some, of these, some of these words that we have a kind of a generally positive view of, but we don't, they have not been translated and interpreted to see how good God really is. You know, um, so, so, so the problem is we are not really seeing God as he is. Now, <clears throat> words, you know, eventually become the foundation of our ideas, our thoughts, and our beliefs. And words then that are improperly translated and properly interpreted, that means they're going to be improperly applied. And it means it's going to alter the way we see God. So if we don't have the correct trans translations, and here's, here's the thing, and, and this is so hard. Uh, there are so many words, particularly in the Hebrew language, that there is no English equivalent. And besides that, especially with the Hebrew language, and the concept is there in the Greek, and it applies to the Greek, but, but it, it is there in a predominant way, and it's this. You will understand the Hebrew words based on how you see God. You know, back years ago, I got a letter from somebody and they said, man, you quoted this scripture and you, and you uh, gave this definition of this Hebrew word. And that is not, that, that's not what the word means. Well, you know, if you just look up that definition from a one dimensional, uh, you know, word resource, it, it had a very negative view. But keep in mind, the, the people that did the translation uh, most of the translations of the Bible, first of all, they were chauvinists and they, and they turned the Bible, which was the greatest book of freedom. I tell you, people just do not realize how that when, when the Torah was written, that it gave freedom for the first time to, to slaves, to women. It even, it, it even uh, uh, you know, taught about how to, how to treat your animals and not abuse your animals. It gave more freedoms than any religious system in the entire world. And it brought about the greatest civil order and civil justice in the entire world. And I'll tell you, history has proven that the further any country moves away from a, from a civil order uh, or a judicial system based on the word of God, the more chaotic that country becomes. And uh, really its fall is probably imminent. It's going to fall to, to communism, progressivism, socialism is going to fall to something that ends up taking away the freedoms from people. I'm telling you, God's word is powerful when it is interpreted and applied from the motive that God gave it. And the motive that God gave it is, is love. More than anything else, God is love. And, you, and if you translate 
any aspect of God's Word, or if you understand anything that you're reading in God's Word and you interpret it to mean something, or you can't see how it is motivated by love, then you need to hit the brakes because you do not fully understand what it, what it actually means yet. You know, uh, uh, how we see God creates this, this continuum of how we interpret the Word of God, and then how we interpret the Word of God feeds back into how we see God. Now, here's the amazing thing. Um, legalists always uh, uh, talk about you know, the need you know, to be more righteous, the need to do better, the need to try harder. And what happens is people end up trying incredibly hard at all the wrong things. And I'll tell you, it's frustrating to try hard enough, to try to become righteous enough, to try to, you know, to try to become the person that you really want to be. Because, because the real truth is, you can never do that consciously. And even if you're doing it subconsciously, because you're influencing your subconscious mind, that is still not transformation. Because transformation is something where a change takes place at a level of, of who you perceive yourself to be and the power that you have to do anything or accomplish anything or to fulfill anything in this life. And so there, there is a mystery, there is a secret to what I call effortless transformation. And I've been teaching on effortless transformation for, for decades. And I'm telling you, effortless transformation is the only transformation that lasts. You know why? Because it doesn't require effort. Anything that requires effort, one day you're going to get tired of doing it. Anything that requires you to always remember to do things a certain way. You know, when you renew your mind, and let's say, for example, you know, and I've, I've shared this with you many times. When you get the true definition of a word, a, a more biblical concept of a word, then every time you read that word in the Bible, you need to consciously remind yourself of the actual definition. For example, you know, when I first you know, got born again, because I, I say I didn't know any of these. I didn't know any of these terminologies, born again, saved, all that. Kind of, I have no idea. I never, you know, I never heard those words or never heard those terminologies. So when I started going to church, you know, uh, the first thing that my, one of the first things that my pastor did was show me a Greek Hebrew lexicon and show me how to use it and said, look, never, never uh, look up a word in a Webster's dictionary because, because the Bible was not written in English. Always look it up in the original language. Well, uh, that, that probably turned out a, a much to his consternation because because so many times he would preach things from the pulpit and, and I wasn't really trying to be argumentative. I was really asking questions. I'd go, but I'd go to him and I'd say, look, you know, I bought that Hebrew, Greek Hebrew lexicon you told me about. And, 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 you know, I looked up this word that you were talking about and, and that's not what it says it means. You know, for example, uh, uh, the word saved, you know, in most denominational settings, the word saved just is just talking about the born-again experience. So once you accept that definition of the born-again experience, then that means every time you read anything in the Bible about that particular word, you, you have to make it be about getting born again. So you're limiting, if you, if you have a limiting definition of a word, then you're limiting God to how you understand a single word, which ultimately would change the way you understand all the Bible. And change the way you perceive God. 
And so, for example, you know, I remember discovering that the word saved, sozo in the Greek means saved, healed, delivered, blessed, prospered, protected, made whole, set apart, you know, and, and on and on and on. In other words, it was every aspect of everything that we have in this new covenant, in this exchange that we have with Jesus. We have everything that he obtained through the resurrection. He became everything that we were before we joined in the resurrection with him. So every time I would come up on the word saved, I would, re I, I would never re be reading the Bible, come up on the word saved and just read it as saved. I would always remind myself saved, healed. And I would say those words, saved, healed, blessed, prospered, protected, made whole, set apart, redeemed, da -da -da, delivered, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so now I, that's renewing the mind. That's changing how I think about something. But in but honestly, if you if that's the only thing you got going for you, you're going to wear yourself out always trying to remember to think a certain way. But it always starts out as as discipline. Let me tell you something. There are movements today that totally uh, 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 vilify just the very idea of having discipline, self-control. There was a guy one time and actually, you know, I, I got rid of him as a Facebook friend. But there was a guy posted and showed up, of course, in my Facebook feed where he said, I thank God that I don't have to be concerned about character, that God is not interested in my character. And I, you know, I sent him a message, a private message. I said, man, what are you talking about? God is deeply interested in your character because as far as this life goes, every problem that we have is a problem where we don't have character because really character gets down to godliness. And the Bible warns about people who, who feel like that, that godliness is, uh, is, is of no value. And, uh, and he's like, no, he said, you, you know, you're into works, man. You, you know, you're, you're into legalism. I'm, no, this is not legalism. You can't have a great life if you don't have great character. It's just, it's just that simple. As a matter of fact, you know, people will preach about the favor of God as if it's something that automatically falls out of heaven. The favor of God is contingent upon trusting God, applying his truth in your life, i.e. having character. You have favor out in the world because you're godly. And I don't mean godly in the sense that you're going around quoting scripture all the time and correcting people's theology all the time and trying to show people how pure you are and all that kind of stuff. Godly in that you keep your word, you keep your promises, you pay your bills, you treat people with respect, you, 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 know, you help people out, you, you do these things. And that's when you get to where, where you can walk into people that you do business with and, and make incredible business deals and have favor. They'll do things for you they don't do for other people. Uh, and it's not God pulling strings like a puppeteer. It's the fact that you believe the truth. You put on, you put on this truth. And so, and so uh, it, you know, it's... It, there are people who just feel like character is, 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 is not important and that self-control is, is legalism. No self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible teaches the person who has no self-control is, like is like a city that has no walls. In other words, a, a city that uh, in those days that would just be out in the desert vulnerable to any kind of attack because they had no walls to protect them. A person without self-control has no protection against all the things that life is going to constantly throw at them. So, so we want to see God as he is. We, and and, and, and we, we'll start out by renewing our mind. But the truth is at some point that becomes a belief because, because when we start reading these scriptures and putting the proper word into them, uh, 
and, and, and maybe even imagining what that would look like in our life, committing ourselves to the Lord and, and you know, reminding ourselves, God, I, I, I trust you that this is how it is in my life. You know, when I come across the word chastisement, for example, you know, I don't read that and interpret it the way Augustine uh, perverted the interpretation. Augustine, you know, he, he, he made this announcement that even though this word had always meant uh, to train a child uh, uh, that you favor, to, to child training for the child that you favor, to gently develop them. And teach. he said, even though that's always been the definition of the word in the Christian faith, we must redefine it to mean to whip, to scourge. To be. Well, why? Well, because the Catholic Church didn't believe in repentance. They believed in penance. And penance was where you pay for something through pain and suffering in order to become more acceptable to God, more, more connected to God. Well, you know what? That is just, that is just not uh, biblical. That is, that, that, that is in the Old Testament. That is in the New Testament. Uh, and in fact, you know, the Bible teaches, you know, God does not tempt you. He does not test you. He does not try you. He does not put you in a position to, to have to strain and stress. That has nothing to do with how God relates to you. God relates to you and, and moves you along the path of life by always revealing His goodness to you, helping you experience His goodness. And when you see how good He is, man, you just want to keep making this journey with Him. But here's the amazing thing. Transformation takes place not because you're always trying to remember, but because you actually believe and perceive God as He really, really is. You know, about 350 years ago, the Dutch inventor of the pendulum clock uh, started realizing a, a an unexplainable phenomenon. And the phenomenon was this. If you put, you know, if he had a room full of clocks and, you know, you go set this one and you get the pendulum swinging, you go set this one, it goes around the room. And, and, and you know, back in those days, I remember my, my grandmother, actually we had clocks when I was a kid that you would stick a key in there and you would wind up the spring and it had a pendulum, and then that swing, that spring would get that pendulum swinging, and uh, and that would keep you know the little gears in the clock turning, and that's how that's how it that's how it kept time. And one of the things that you had to do every day was at a certain time you had to remember to go down and put that key in the clock and and, and wind up wind up the spring. Well, he noticed that when he would set all the clocks, that the, the pendulums would be swinging at, you know, wildly various speeds and, and times, and they were not synced up together. And that within about an hour, they would, all, they would all be swinging at the same rhythm. Now, I don't actually remember the word for that. I don't remember if that's the word entrainment, but we do know it was a, a synchronizing effect. Now, there's been all kinds of studies done about that. And the first studies just said, well, it's because if these clocks were hanging on the same rafter, then, then the vibration from the clock and the way it swung, you know, uh, affected the other clocks. Well, you know, they weren't all on rafters together. They were on the walls. And eventually, 
as we began to understand more about quantum physics, they started realizing that there was an energetic factor and that in fact, if I remember correctly, they all ended up synchronizing with the, the most powerful pendulum or the largest pendulum in the room. Well, <clears throat> there's this, there is this concept of, of, of synchronicity and, and it happens emotionally in real life. For example, uh, when a mother, particularly when they're breastfeeding, but at any time, when a mother looks into the baby's eyes and is thinking loving thoughts, studies have been done to show that the brain waves of the mother can be picked up in the brain of the child. So by making this eye contact, the brain waves sync up and, and and so a connection then occurs between the baby and the mother or the baby and the father when he's feeding them or just, you know, you don't even have to be feeding them because you just, you're just making this, this eye contact, feeling these emotions and really transferring these emotions to, emotions to the child. And so the child actually experiences some level of transformation just because they are experiencing the love of the parent. You know, when a, the dog that we have now, many of you have heard me talk about my dog Hooch, you know. Uh, I, back when I got him, I used to travel a lot. Now, for, fortunately, I don't have to travel anymore. But I used to stay on the road about two weeks a month. And, and I was always uncomfortable with Brenda being at the house by herself, you know, for these long periods of time. And so, um, and so you know, a big dog is the number one deterrent to home invasions. Uh, nobody wants to run through a door with a dog that might be big enough to hurt him. So I thought, you know, I'm going to get a dog. Well, what's interesting, I won't go into the whole story, but you know, it was a really interesting story about how one of my staff members down here, just at the time I decided I wanted to get a dog, uh, she ended up getting me a dog for Christmas. And so this, this dog that I got is, uh, is a really, really interesting dog. And I could spend an hour telling you about him and, and the characteristics of this particular breed. But one of the great things is they are incredibly protective of women and children. And if they have to protect their masters, they will die before they'll quit and let harm come to them. So, so you know, one of the things you're not supposed to do when you get a dog is you're not supposed to let them sleep on your bed. Well, Angela, one of my daughters, she has rescued dogs for years. And she says, Dad, if you want, if you want, this dog to be protective of mom. You let that dog sleep in your bed. And at night when that dog is laying in your bed, you and her pet him and look him in the eyes and think, you know, think a healthy, connective, relational thoughts and think about the value you have for him. Because she said it will, ha it will create a bond just like the bond that a mother creates looking in the eyes of the child. We did that. And I'm telling you, this dog has an incredible uh, uh, bond with both of us and is incredibly protective of, of both of us, not in a violent way. But here's what's interesting. See, transformation occurs in the presence of God. Transformation, you know, there's a scripture that says, you know, in, in thy light or in your light, we have light. Uh, I, I love what first, what first John 3 says. It, it, it basically says that, that we will become like him when we see him as he is. Our ability to transform, and people push that to the second coming of Jesus. No, 
I'm going to tell you something. To the degree that you can see God as He is today, to that degree as you abide in His presence and look as it were in His eyes and harmonize yourself with His love for you and harmonize yourself and your thoughts with His thoughts and your ways with His ways, there is a synchronization that happens. There is a download not only of information but of power and life that transforms you effortlessly and by knowing the truth you will not limit this transformation so you know what we're going to talk some more about this next week so be sure and be back with us but for now just know the more time you spend in the presence of god the quicker and the more powerfully transformation is going to happen now listen my book 10 words that will change everything you know about god and the series have very little overlap I, I try to make it where these programs, the books, the workshops do not have a bunch of overlap. It's just not a repeat of the same thing. So if you're really interested in taking a real journey in this, be sure order the series and the book. Uh, we got it on special for you this month, so be sure and check it out. Also, don't forget, share this with people that you think that this will help because I'm telling you, people are, are wanting to know how to experience transformation. And they're trying hard at all the wrong things. Also comment, tell me what's working for you. Tell me what you're getting out of this stuff. And if you'll like this page, this will mean more people will, will see it. And go, go to a YouTube and subscribe or be sure and get on my mailing list at impactministries.com and get these every week. I'll talk to you next week with a great message. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.